Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today, my guest is Rebecca Rulin. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be a guest here today. Well, good. Well, I know that our listeners will enjoy what you are here to tell us about. And by the way, Rebecca, we've been trying to get someone from your organization for quite a while. So thank you for agreeing to do this. Let me just tell you, or rather tell our listeners, that you are a board-certified lactation consultant, that is an IBCLC, as well as a sociocultural anthropologist with specialties in East Asia, social movements, gender, motherhood, and breastfeeding. And Rebecca teaches at Davidson College in Davidson, North Carolina. So, Rebecca, first of all, we know that you are here on behalf of uh, Breastfeeding USA. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about what is mother-to-mother support and where, somewhere in there, could you please tell us, is there any difference between mother-to-mother support and peer support? Sure. Um, Actually, let me clarify one thing. Um, I am a volunteer with Breastfeeding USA. I'm an accredited Breastfeeding USA counselor working in my local community um, doing mother-to-mother support. I also serve on the board of directors directors. for the national organization. Um, I'm very proud of the work that I do with Breastfeeding USA. Um, We're an all-volunteer organization with a mission to um, promote breastfeeding as both the biological and the cultural norm by offering evidence-based information and support to families. Um, However, since we're going to be talking about also my anthropological work today, I wanted to make it really clear from the outset. I'm not representing Breastfeeding USA like as their official spokesperson. I'm here to talk as a as an advocate anthropologist, an advocacy anthropologist who who does breastfeeding um, support work and advocacy work as 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 part of my anthropology work. So when I when I say um, you know, this is this is how breast this is how mother to mother support is different from a different kind of breastfeeding support. Th- things like that are not necessarily breastfeeding breastfeeding USA's official stance as an organization. Sure, sure, but okay. nonetheless, you have been actively involved in the organization. Yes, and before that, I was also um, a volunteer La Leche League counselor. So I've been doing volunteer mother to mother support work in the breastfeeding world since two thousand six. Um, now you asked, is there a difference between mother to mother support and peer support? Um, not, not really. I think that they're, they're fairly interchangeable terms. Um, I think that we tend to hear peer support, um, associated with peer counseling, um, of the sort offered by WIC, for example, um, and mother to mother support typically more typically is, um, in kind of in the volunteer community, but they, they do essentially the same thing. The basic concept is, um, Mothers who are breastfeeding um, breastfeed longer and more happily when they have relationship, when they're supported by um, other mothers who are or have been breastfeeding mothers themselves. 
Yes. Uh, I, I, I would just say for the benefit of our listeners and just to uh, sort of recap in my own mind, not only is there a good deal of evidence to show that, but my guess would be that you have seen it over and over and over over many years in real life that it really works. It really works. Um, we have a strong evidence basis by now. Um, La Leche League, of course, is the organization that first came up with this model in a formal sense. Um, but they were really just doing <laughs> what uh, what many of them had benefited from um, less directly, which yeah. is to reach out, reach out, um, build community with, and kind of get tips and strategies and advice, but also just emotional support and encouragement from other mothers who are maybe sometimes just a little bit further down the path than you. Um, so like the, the classic model, of course, for mother to mother support is the group meeting or a chapter meeting is what we call them in, in breastfeeding USA. Um, they're facilitated by a trained volunteer and that volunteer is herself an experienced breastfeeding mother, um, with, with breastfeeding USA, um, all of our breastfeeding counselors have nursed at least one baby for at least one year. Um, and then they've also gone through additional training in the common challenges that come up over the full course of breastfeeding mm. um, and also uh, pretty deep training in counseling skills, you know, how to listen, how to um, build rapport and affirm what a mother's going through, how to reflect back, how to help her identify what her own goals are um, and how to, how, to pro- how to offer that emotional support in a way that is empowering. Um, but in a group meeting, it's not a class. The the breastfeeding counselor, the, the trained volunteer, is not a teacher. Um, she's there to facilitate that conversation between the parents who are present in the group meeting, and um, and that's that's really the bulk of what of what the what the volunteer is is tasked with doing. Um, but but both Breastfeeding USA and La Leche League, and I'm sure you know many many other organizations who follow this model, um, also um, can often offer one-on-one support between a mother and uh, that trained volunteer, because, you know, as you know, when there's a breastfeeding problem, you can't usually wait for the next scheduled group meeting. Right. <laughs> you know, if the meeting right. only happens once a month and your nipples are sore, you need, you need help right now. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. um, so many, many, many volunteers are also available by phone, by email. Um, we see more and more, um, text or private message support. Um, we also see a lot of, um, a lot of our volunteers offering support in Facebook groups or on Facebook pages or mm-hmm. other, other kinds of social media platforms. Rebecca, you have said so many important things that I was wildly trying to take notes here, but I want <laughs> well, I want to back up for a moment because I think you're the only person I've ever met who has been involved with both La Leche League and Breastfeeding USA, and I heard you talk about some things that I would consider some similarities, for example, uh, the periodic meeting, whether you're calling it a meeting or a a chapter meeting or whatever, but um, what are some of the differences. Well, let's back up a moment. Are there more similarities that you would be eager to point out? And then what are the differences between the groups? Oh, the similarities are many um, and go very deep. Um, Breastfeeding USA sort of spun out of La Leche League. It was influenced by that model very heavily. Um, and I would say that uh, all all providers doing mother-to-mother support owe a great debt to La Leche League, um, who, you know, did more than 
any other entity that I'm aware of to okay. rescue breastfeeding as a practice in our in our in, in American society. Um, breastfeeding almost died out as a social practice, as a parenting practice um, in the 1950s and 60s, and Lilith League brought it back. Um, Absolutely, not single-handedly, but almost. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. In terms of differences between La Leche League and Breastfeeding USA, those are th- that's a really common question that we get. I think largely because La Leche League has been around um, so much longer. Oh, wow. It was founded in the 1950s, and Breastfeeding USA opened its virtual doors in 2010. So it's a much uh-huh. newer organization. Yeah. Um, I'm of the opinion that from uh, from a parent's or from a family's point of view, what they encounter from a Lilitia League leader versus from a Breastfeeding USA counselor or at a Lilitia League meeting versus a Breastfeeding USA meeting, it's probably going to be very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. uh, the differences um, uh, mostly are kind of inside in the, inter- the internal um, operation and governance. Um, and I haven't really kept track of uh, that uh, insider, that internal experience Um with the Leche League since I left the organization, so I can't really speak uh, specifically to those sure. to those differences today. But it would seem to me that uh, La Leche League International is indeed international, whereas Breastfeeding USA is, I assume, completely national. Yes, Breastfeeding USA um, is operating only in the United States of America, but that can even include things like U.S. military bases overseas. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but it—that's it, primarily a matter of, uh, I think, things like liability insurance and stuff like that. Yeah, we're we're not trying to be um, an international organization. So, uh, th- these two organizations are not necessarily competitors in the classical sense of them being competitors, but uh, perhaps just having some different models uh, that are as you say, inside of operations? Yeah, just like the governance structure. For example, um, when I was a La Leche League leader, I never voted in an election to elect the board of directors. But in Breastfeeding uh-huh. USA, we have an election every year for um, our voting members. It's primarily our uh, our volunteers um, elect one-third of our board of directors every year. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's helpful, Rebecca. Because yeah. honestly, stuff like that. Yeah. So, stuff like that. In my experience, um, families... You, when you're when you're breastfeeding a new baby and you know you're worried if your baby's getting enough milk you don't care whether the organization that you get help from has you know right. an elected versus a self-selected board of directors that's very wonky kind of nonprofit governance stuff right right so rebecca clearly you have done this with both organizations but let's back up several steps how did you first get involved with mother to mother support oh i love to tell this story oh good um, <laughs> I, I am one of the, the fortunate American women who come from a family where breastfeeding is normal. Um, my mother breastfed her babies, her mother before her. Um, I'm the youngest of seven children, um, so I have a half-sister and a number of um, uh, sisters-in-law who all had babies when I was a child or a teenager, and I saw breastfeeding practiced, also my cousins. Um, I, I grew up in a fairly rural area in Kansas. Um, I'm only one generation removed from the farm, you know, so I, I think that that's a big part of why breastfeeding is still um, an active practice in my family of origin. Um, I always knew that I would breastfeed. Um, I, it never occurred to me that I might need help to breastfeed. Mm. Um Wow. when I had a baby, but, uh, my, my sister, whose name is Alice, and I'm going to give her a shout out because she had such a huge impact on me as a mother herself, um, oh, since nice. she was the mother of three babies as I was growing up. 
Um, she told me while I was pregnant that uh, uh, she once got really important help from a La Leche League leader when she had mastitis with her second baby, Brian. Um, and she never went to a La Leche League meeting. Um, she didn't have any kind of sustained relationship or involvement with La Leche League, but she, but she remembered that. This was probably 15 years later. She remembered that help that she'd gotten just over the phone from a La Leche League leader. Mm. Um, and... Uh, so she told me while I was pregnant that I should check out La Leche League, but I'm a joiner. So I went to a meeting while I was pregnant and I loved it. And I went back <laughs> while I was still pregnant. And I ended up going to a full series of four meetings uh, before my, before my son was born. And by then I was hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Wow. This is so great that we have become uh, a little bit more familiar with what you do, what you've done, how you got there, where you started. And I know that you'll have a lot more to tell us about mother-to-mother support on the other side of the break. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Rebecca Rulin, and we're talking about the importance of mother-to-mother support, as well as some of the ins and outs of mother support. So, Rebecca, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a gajillion times, and I bet you've heard it. Nah, I don't really want to go to one of those meetings. They're just for stay-at-home moms, aren't they? Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the myths. That's one of the myths. Um, Although some like like many myths or stereotypes, there's sometimes um, some truth to it or some element of, you know, it comes from something from some impression. Um, uh, I guess the first thing I would say is, no, everyone is welcome. um, And and that's true of La Leche League. That's true of Breastfeeding USA. Um, Every everyone who is a breastfeeding parent or. uh, in at least in the meetings that I run, the support person of a breastfeeding parent or the child of a breastfeeding parent, we we, we want you there um, and you're welcome. Um, La Leche League, of course, was founded at a time when um, most, vir- virtually all mothers who were able to breastfeed were stay-at-home moms because it was True. before the days of breast pumps. And of course, not many middle-class women were even even had access to the paid workforce in the 1950s and 60s. It was at the beginning of that trend of women um, uh, going back to, going back into the workforce. Um, and La Leche League also, at different points in its history, although certainly not now, um, ha- took the stance that um, breastfeeding was part of a whole mothering philosophy that included mm. um, the expectation, or at least a strong value, that a mother would be at home with her children. Um, uh, during during their early years, so I think that may be part of where that assumption comes from. Um, another another element can be well, you know, our meetings, all of these volunteer, all of these meetings are run by volunteers, and so they're offered at times when the volunteers, right, doing the volunteer work can offer the meeting. So if you have a volunteer who, for example, is a stay at home mother whose child whose rambunctious four-year-old goes to preschool, chances are she's going to offer that meeting while her child is at preschool. You know, um, um, there have been times in my career as a volunteer breastfeeding support person with both organizations when I've offered weekday morning meetings. There have been times when I've offered evening or Saturday morning meetings or been um, been unable to do one of those just because of the constraints of my own life. Um, so uh, it, it is true that some people will live in an area where the only um, mother support meetings are happening at times when they're not able to be there because of their work. Um, but then there are other times, you know, I have some moms who can't come to our 7 p.m. third Thursday meeting because that's their children's bedtime and it would be too disruptive to their family. So, uh-huh. you know, hopefully, hopefully the more, the more presence, the more activity we have um, in the volunteer mother support field, the more choices uh, the volunteers will be able to offer um, families. I think it's very common, at least in our area now, to see Saturday morning and weekday evening meetings as well. I've had mothers tell me that they went to the meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning and that the uh, look and feel of the meeting was somehow very different than when they went to an evening session. Do you think that that's due to the fact that there are more working mothers in the evening or it's due to the leader who was leading the meeting or it's just a casual observation and doesn't mean a doggone thing? 
Um, I think maybe all three of those things can be true <laughs> for different for different settings, you know, sure. at different points in time. Um, the the volunteers set the tone. The area sets the tone. Uh, parents tend to feel comfortable at a meeting where they feel similarities with the other parents at the meetings. So over time, there can be this kind of like attracts like um, oh, dynamic. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so uh, it's that element of um, diversity and affinity and relatability and accessibility. These are, these are always challenges. Um, particularly when I think we're living through an area when simply access to meeting space um, is more more and more challenging to come by. Um, so we can't always find the ideal location for a meeting at the time that we would like to hold it in the in the neighborhood where it's perhaps most needed. Uh, yeah, so so there are many challenges, right, in in having enough meetings available um, to everyone who needs it. Uh, we, we do take pretty, really seriously uh, this concept of the first food desert um, oh, yes. from Kimberly Seals Allers. And, yes. and you know, if, for, for a, for a low-income mother who maybe has unreliable transportation, to make it across town to the wealthy white area where there's a meeting it is not is not a reasonable expectation. And, and will she feel comfortable when she walks in those doors? That's that's a lot to, to expect also. Um, so as a, as a field, right, as a profession, we do need to be, including a volunteer profession, we do need to be always trying to do more to, um, to situate and schedule our meetings in places where they're more accessible to more people. I take that seriously. Are there online meetings? Um, there are online meetings. I've, I, I don't have any personal experience with that myself. Um, uh, I know that there are some chapters do them. I think Breastfeeding USA has or has had a kind of a regular nationally available Facebook event, which is an, an online meeting. Um, you know, technology just opens up so many different options. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Uh, Rebecca, this is kind of a two-part question because I'm still skipping back to what you said earlier about communication and that volunteers got a lot of training as related to communication. Now, I remember the first year I was in nursing school, they talked about communication. I'm like, oh, I can talk to people. I'm good at that. You know, I don't really need to know this (laughs) stuff. (laughs) And now (laughs) I look back and I realize I am only marginally good at doing good communication with (laughs) clients. I I feel like I, I really fall short of what my own expectations would be. And interestingly, uh, I just got a new doctor a few days ago, actually, and I liked her, but I came away thinking her communication skills are okay. You know, mm. they're okay. Mm-hmm. They're not great. Uh, so two-part question. How do we trust volunteers to provide quality support? Yeah. And how does communication play into that? Because I have to tell you, I just came away from that experience just feeling like, you know, maybe I just need to find somebody else. I think she's capable. I think she's nice. Uh, If I had a serious problem, I don't really think I could talk to her. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) talk to us a little. Gosh, what an important topic. And, you know, this is not, this is not only a concern for volunteer mother to mother support 
that setting. Yeah. It's it's a ev- it's anybody, <laughs> anybody working, anybody working with uh, with 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 breastfeeding or or pumping families needs needs to really look closely at, at their yeah. training and their practice and communication and counseling. Um, I think I think what how you opened this up is revealing. You said in nursing school you thought, well, I know how to talk really well. I don't need communication training. Uh, counseling and communication is much more about listening, right, yeah, than it, than it is about talking. Yeah, um, and that's that's not that's not a trait that's very valued in our culture, and it's not very modeled in many fields in our culture. Um, and so it does take it does take practice and training and sort of conscious attention. Um, and I would suspect that the reason you left that doctor's visit feeling leery, not of her wow. knowledge, but of her. Uh, her skills as a provider, right, around communication is that she probably didn't make you feel heard. And she may, she may well have heard everything you said and taken it seriously. Right. But if, you, if, she, if she didn't convey that you to you, feel. right, <laughs> right, right, yes. yeah. Yes. And this is something that I'm personally very passionate about. Um, I've always felt that there are kind of there are kind of two types of people who do who do breastfeeding work. There are those who are in it for the babies because we all love babies and we all want what's best for them and we want to see them thrive, right? But then there there are others who are really in breastfeeding or lactation support work for the mothers, um, and I, I really fall into that category. I believe very very firmly that if a mother feels empowered and supported and affirmed. Um, she's going to do an excellent job taking care of her baby. I don't need to worry about her baby, but I worry a lot about the mothers in our society. Um, and it's, um, it's ironic. And I think also deeply tragic that for many, many women, their introduction to becoming a mother is the sense of being rendered invisible and unheard. So when I, when I meet with a family when I run a, a breastfeeding group, um, I'm I go into it with the plan to make sure that every mother who crosses my path leaves feeling heard and affirmed. Oh, hopefully, I, I can right, hopefully I can also help her solve whatever breastfeeding challenge has brought her there today. But the most important thing is that she knows that I see her as a unique individual, that I care about the journey that she's on, and that I'm listening and really hearing and taking seriously what she's what she's saying to me. Um, and you know, this is something, go ahead. You make me take a step back and ask myself, do I do that with every single mother, every single time under all circumstances? (sighs) See, I, I, and I don't offer this as a, as a form of judgment, particularly, particularly to those like you who are working in different kinds of professional settings. Do nurses have the time? Do doctors (laughs) do do right. hospital based do hospital based IBCLCs have the time right, right. to really sit with a mother and listen? This is one of the great privileges in volunteer work is that I can take the time oh. if my life allows it. Yeah. I can spend as much time as I want to, as I'm right. able to, listening to a family. You know, lis- listening to that mother, um, and I, I enjoy it. I distinctly remember one time leaving a patient's room. I was working at Georgetown University Hospital, and the woman said to me as I was walking out the door, uh, "Oh." And I, and then she said, oh, no, I guess you're busy. And I stopped, looked at myself, and realized I had my hand on the door, and I was halfway over the threshold, and the message that she got was, I was too busy to listen to her. And that was some years ago, but it bothered me so much, Rebecca, that I realized that 
I had not deliberate, but uh, deliberately not listened. But it's like, you know, I got 80 other things I got to be doing here. Uh, but I also see uh, this is a great motivator for why it, it's so great to be able to volunteer. And I would agree with you. I would still ask myself the same question, which is sometimes we get, I say this to nurses quite a bit. You know, as a nurse, I was always kind of taught to fix it, whatever it was. And as I have gotten older and smarter, I realize that a lot of times I just got to just listen because nobody's going to fix it until somebody listens. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's a really, really important point. And Rebecca, before we go to break, tell us, tell us um, what about breastfeeding and chest feeding parents who don't identify as mothers? Uh, can they be included in uh, Breastfeeding USA or Mother to Mother Support? Thank you so much for including that question. I think this is a really, really important topic for the field of breastfeeding and lactation support work and advocacy. Um, the short answer is yes. Um, parents of different gender identities who may not um, uh, feel that the the label mother applies to them, um, or who, who may describe their mother, their, their parenting practices and their infant feeding practices as chest feeding rather than breastfeeding, um, they have a place. Um, they they should be welcome and included at any uh, Breastfeeding USA or La Leche League act- activity. Um, trans rights are a kind of emerging issue in the field of lactation and other birth, the perinatal kinds of um, kinds of realms these days. Um, it can be challenging to train volunteers in how to do this. Um, I personally have not yet had an experience of an, an out trans parent attending a group of mine. Um, I would love to have that opportunity someday. Um, and it re- probably begins with uh, whether our organization presents an image that is welcoming enough to assure a parent that they will be welcome and be safe in that space. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot more that we can do. The gender inclusive language um, can be difficult. I don't know what we call our organization if we can't use the term breastfeeding, so we kind of need to use the term breastfeeding. Um, But these are ongoing conversations and and areas of uh, improvement and outreach, I think, across the board in in this whole world. Absolutely. Yes, well stated. Uh, Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I am here today with Rebecca Rulin. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Rebecca Rulin. We're talking about mother-to-mother support. And to that end, I just want to say Rebecca wants to talk about anthropology because that is also her passion. And I just want to point out that those I'm like so into this right now of prepping people for the IBLCE exam. And I want to remind you that if you have looked on the IBLCE's detailed content outline for the exam, and if you haven't, you should, they absolutely use that word anthropology. Psychology, sociology, and anthropology all appear on the exam. And in my experience, most people kind of sort of more or less think they know about it, but in fact, uh, they really don't. And so this will be a great opportunity for me to say, Rebecca, what is anthropology? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked, Marie. And anybody who else is a little bit uncertain, um, please don't feel badly. I didn't know what anthropology was until I took my first anthropology course, and that was in graduate school. <laughs> so I, I didn't grow up wanting to be an anthropologist. Um, anthropology is very simply, it's the study of people, of human beings. Um, and it's a very, very comprehensive, very diverse discipline. Um, there are four major subfields. Uh, in the discipline of anthropology, and I'm trained in the most prevalent of those subfields, which is uh, social or cultural um, or 
as my graduate department called it, sociocultural anthropology. And it kind of sounds like what you think. We study, sociocultural anthropologists study different societies or cultures, um, you know, with attention to the vast differences as well as the important similarities between people on different parts of the planet um, or sometimes in the same neighborhood but from different cultural backgrounds. So what are the other three? Uh, the other three major subfields, archaeology is the one that most oh. people sort of have an image for. Um, that's studying humans of the past through the artifacts, usually, that they've left behind. Um, also, uh, physical or biological anthropology. And we see a lot of really interesting breastfeeding work being done in that subfield um, oh. in particular. It's the study of humans in our, uh, in our physical um, the, the physical bodies and experiences. Um, huh? And that often includes some primate, interesting primate comparisons. Oh, uh-huh. Because... Homo sapiens is a primate. We are primates. Uh, we're one right. particular whole, family of primates. Kathy Detweiler stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, and then the, four, the fourth subfield is, is linguistic anthropology. That's the oh. study of human languages with a special uh, focus on their cultural or societal um, aspects. So, Rebecca, help me if I'm right or wrong here. It would then include such things as I'm thinking about sleep practices, for Definitely. example. Uh, yes. Carrying your baby versus putting your baby uh, in a, a chair or seat or something. The, yes, those exactly. Things? Okay, okay, okay. Got well, it. you know, I mean, anything that humans do is fair game for anthropologists to study, oh, okay. <laughs> including including having babies and taking care of them. Yeah. All right. So, why might an anthropologist study breastfeeding? Uh, this is a, a fascinating question. People often ask me how I came around to it because breastfeeding wasn't my initial topic of inquiry as an anthropologist. It was something I started to think about anthropologically when I started to do it as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if you think about it, um, no human being is born already programmed with a culture, you know, mm-hmm. or already mm-hmm. understanding social relationships. These are things that babies have to learn as they grow up. Um, and a baby who is breastfed um, is going to learn particular things about the world, um, particular uh, lessons and impressions about that mother and the other people um, are in, in that infant's world. Um, breastfeeding also, you know, because our milk is unique to our species, um, also plays an important role in how our babies and children develop. Um, and the kinds of the, the ways that, that we are evolutionarily designed as a species to be nurtured um, from the very beginning. Um, and then looking at breastfeeding from the sort of from the mother's point of view, anthropologically, uh, breastfeeding is it's a physiological lactation is a physiological process. You know, we give birth, the placenta comes out. Uh, we, you know, our breasts enter lactogenesis too, and the milk hopefully begins to flow. But it's also a social practice. It's something that we have to learn how to do. Our bodies may lactate automatically, but we aren't programmed knowing how to bring a baby to breast. Um, you know, <laughs> um, and it, it also is deeply imbued with cultural meanings, which can vary a lot from from place to place and, and across time. So it's just a it's just a theoretically very interesting site of human practice that kind of sits on that cusp between our physical being as a species, which is shared, and our specific cultural or societal practices, which can be um, quite different um, across space and time. 
I really liked what you said about how we are not born with some sort of cultural uh, baggage, so to speak, that we clearly learn that as we go along. And I'm just thinking, my mother never said this, but I always kind of knew that if I ever came home and said I was going to formula feed, I think I would have been excommunicated from the family. That just <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> just was Sorry, not- I take it. I take it she nursed her babies. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. And she really thought that you were somehow a second-class citizen if you did not nurse your babies. You know, She never said that, but she didn't have to. We got a real clear impression that that's what people were supposed to do. Now, that being said, uh, my mother grew up in Italy, and so she had a very different idea about what was constituted normal because, of course, she had a very different cultural background uh, having babies in the 40s and the 50s. And, uh, Rebecca, I'd be real interested to see a couple of things here. First of all, so often when we get pushback about nursing a baby until he is three years old, four years old, five years old, whatever it is, and I think that a word that comes out of my mouth very, very frequently is when I talk to other nurses, although it may not be culturally appropriate in the culture that we live in, it is absolutely biologically normal when you look at, for example, uh, other uh, behavior of other large primates. And again, I hearken back to the work of Kathleen Detweiler. Yes, absolutely. So, it seems to me like in your shoes, you kind of see this biological plus cultural where, in theory, they should coexist as the same thing. But in fact, they really do not. Uh, I know I'm going to take you off uh, topic here for a moment, but can you speak to what I think is a new cultural practice, which is what I call pump and feed? I am seeing more and more and more mothers deliberately choosing. We're not talking about a preemie baby or a compromised situation, but rather that they choose to pump their milk and feed it to their baby. And I see this as Mm -hmm. sort of a new cultural norm, so to speak. Can you speak to this at all? Yeah. um, No, it's a topic that I haven't studied specifically, but I have, of course, seen it developing. Um, And I I have some different ideas about it. Um, I'm not, I want to make it clear that I'm I'm not speaking from acquaintance with any research literature on the topic, but more from conversations that I've yeah. just kind of been following. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that breastfeeding promotion has done in the last 20 years or so is to really convey very strongly the idea that breast milk yes. is different from and vastly superior to infant formula. And yes. I want to I want to absolutely I'm not demonizing infant formula. I fed it to my own son when a circumstance warranted it. Sure. I'm very grateful sure. that it's available when it's medically necessary, um, or when it's when it's available, or, or that it's available when a when a parent simply chooses not to breastfeed. I strongly believe in in mother's choice, mm-hmm. but when you compare the two substances, there's really no comparison. So <laughs> yeah. we've we've done we've done a terrific job, um, particularly around the idea that um, breast milk contains antibodies, which help support and protect a baby's developing immune immature immune system. Um, however, we haven't done a great job as a society opening up spaces and changing policies and cultural attitudes around the physical process of nursing a child. You know, from from birth up until 
that natural age of weaning, whatever that might be for that particular dyad. Um, and in some ways, in a lot of areas, we've actually gone backwards on things like freedom to breastfeed in public. It may be legally protected, although <laughs> um, having a law that, say, that says you can breastfeed doesn't necessarily mean you are always permitted to breastfeed in public in practice. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, we've m- mothers... Mothers having having babies nowadays have had a whole quarter century or so to internalize really rigorous, um, narrow um, I- ideas of body image and what uh, mm. like a like a proper, attractive, acceptable maternal or female body can be. So, so I think you know, and and then also we do a really good job as a society of splitting apart our mothers and our babies. Yes. We don't have we don't have paid family leave, mandatory paid family leave in this country. Um, I think something like half of all working mothers are back at work uh, within the first two to four weeks after giving birth. When do they have time to learn how to breastfeed? When do they have time to even establish that as a practice? But you know, every every family now gets um, a pretty a pretty good quality breast pump. So the message the message that a lot of mothers are bombarded with is, you know, bringing the baby to breast breastfeeding at breast, that's optional. Maybe nice if you can do it, nice if it works out, and it doesn't always, right? In a lash sure, problem, sure. sore nipples, I mean, there's a, you know, it can take a long time to reach kind of cruising altitude and settle in. Um, <laughs> Love that, cruising altitude. Well, <laughs> you know, but, but if you can, you know, if you can pump, and many, many more families nowadays can pump in the U.S. than could 20 years ago, then you can give that milk, your milk, your precious species specific tailored to your baby milk to your baby. And, you know, maybe in less time than breastfeeding takes, depending, um, maybe on a schedule that's more conducive to your particular life constraints, maybe depending. Um, so I think that there are a lot of factors. I don't think, I don't think that exclusive pumping has become a cultural norm by any means, but it's becoming a more common practice. And sometimes for reasons that actually make a lot of sense in a, in a given mother's life. Hey, that's a that's a good way to put it. That it is a more common uh, practice. I think too. I just want to say about the separation thing. To some extent, we have separated the product from the process. We so, really have. Yeah, yeah. We, we we really have. And I'm. But on the other hand, I also wonder if those are the mothers that would have chosen to formula feed if they couldn't pump and feed. So uh, you know. All right. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I will be right back with Rebecca Rulin right after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I want to ask Rebecca Rulin, what are your particular interests in uh, research as related to breastfeeding? Well, I'm trained as a social movement scholar. My dissertation research was on feminist activism in South Korea back when it was a new democracy in the 1990s. So when I think about breastfeeding as an anthropologist, I often think of it as a social movement, specifically breastfeeding advocacy. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the different ways that activists and advocates have gained ground and gone about um, promoting um, and protecting breastfeeding to try and shift the needle, shift the conversation. Um, So, for example, one really important area, and this often has to do with um, sort of changing the dialogue, changing the the vocabulary that we use. I, I think everybody has heard the phrase "breast is best." Oh, absolutely! Yeah, <laughs> right? Nineteen We've been hearing it ever since. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully we're hearing it less now than we did ten or fifteen years ago. Um, and I think back to that really seminal article by Diane Weising- Weisinger. Oh, uh-huh. um, watch your language, which was aimed at healthcare okay. professionals you know, who maybe had been taught if they were if they were taught at all to talk about breastfeeding, it was to encourage 
pregnant mothers or, 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 or new mothers to breastfeed because breast is best. And she just, she, she deconstructs and demolishes that whole idea and, and explains how that's a formula normative concept. Um, uh, when you say that something is best, that makes it sound special, that makes it sound extra and, and, and separates it apart from what is normal, what is standard, what is typical, what is adequate. Yeah. Um, and it can also, um, I think I think that that phrase "breast is best" is, as a slogan um, also has a lot uh, of baggage to carry in the sense of that that image problem that breastfeeding advocacy has of being elitist and superior and judgmental. Um, the whole the whole idea of like the 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 breastfeeding police, you know, and um, and hate online towards mothers who are maybe struggling um, and and things like that. You know, that's so th- that's that's a phrase and an attitude. Uh, a, a kind of a cultural meme or concept that uh, that breastfeeding advocacy as a movement has done a lot to try to move away from. Um, so I always, when I hear it, I uh, uh, particularly among um, you know um, not in a counseling situation, but in a breastfeeding advocacy conversation, I always try to raise people's consciousness to avoid that phrase and all of the all of the assumptions that go along with it. So what do we have in its place? Uh, we have the idea that breastfeeding is important and it's important for everyone to support. Um, that breastfeeding isn't simply a choice that a mother makes once. And if she's a good mm-hmm. mother, she chooses to breastfeed. And if she's not, then maybe she doesn't, you know. Um, but, right, but that breastfeeding is something that is a social practice that um, that everyone in, in any setting needs to know a little bit about so that they can be aware and can support the mothers who cross their paths um, who, are, who, who are engaged in lactation or in breastfeeding. Um, yeah, you know, I've often thought we don't say, "Well, cleaning, uh, breathing clean air is best," or "Walking on two feet instead of all fours is best." You know, we, it just seems to me like it's kind of goofy to say it, "breast is best." So, I think you're probably more passionate about the, getting rid of that than I am. But uh, it just doesn't feel right to me somehow. And also, Rebecca, um, how do you use your anthropological training? As a breastfeeding advocate, well, uh, that's also um, something that I try to think about when I'm doing things like, you know, volunteering um, either locally, you know, when I'm when I'm counseling families, or when I'm engaged in um, making decisions as a director on the board of directors for Breastfeeding USA. Um, I'm trained to think of problems in their full historical mm-hmm. and cultural and societal and economic kind of perspective. Anthropology is really good at connecting dots and we can think Mm. from the specific or the very local up to the macro or the regional or the global or the national. Um, And, and so that it's, it's, it's difficult to tell a story um, that, that encapsulates that. But um, I guess it's to say that um, I'm, I'm good at, I'm good at big picture thinking and hopefully I'm, when I'm on my game, I'm also good at explaining uh, those different connections, connecting those different dots, because I, I do, of course, teach for a living as well. Mm-hmm. That's very well stated. Uh, before we go out today, any last minute thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, I think we should tell everybody if you are interested in finding a meeting for Breastfeeding USA, uh, how do we find that? Um, our, our website is breastfeedingusa, all one word, .org. So breastfeedingusa.org. Um, and you can click on uh, find a breastfeeding counselor. There's a map uh, with button with little pins that pop up and you can find your location. And also groups or uh, chapters are listed by state. 
um, I do always encourage um, people who are thinking of attending meeting, attending a meeting to first reach out to the volunteer to make sure that it's scheduled, um, that okay. it's happening as scheduled. Absolutely. And also, Rebecca, uh, just one quick word. Why would you encourage somebody to be a volunteer and do what you do? Mothers need support and they need choices. Um, and we we have a, breastfeeding rates have increased dramatically, but um, the growth of our volunteer organizations has not been able to keep pace with that growing need. Um, so I always say that every every family, every mother is entitled to the support and encouragement and affirmation that she needs in order to reach her own breastfeeding goals. So if you're if you're led to this work, please please check us out and get in touch. Absolutely. Uh, Wow. This has been a great hour. It always goes too fast, as I'm sure you know. But before we go out today, I would just like to thank Rebecca Rulin for being my guest today. Rebecca, thank you so much for your insights. You're very welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Oh, I'm so glad. For all of you who are listening, I would just like to remind you, the only reason that we have a show is because you listen. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. We have thousands of listeners. And if you find this program useful, would you please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and please give us a rating. If Our aim here is to make sure that other people who need this information can easily find us. And those readings really help a lot for uh, just helping other people to be aware that every week we really helped to debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And so, although I'll see you next week, just remember, in the meanwhile, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.